Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for January 11th, 2016, featuring poet Cynthia Cruz at the helm of the workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC, Jason Koo, Executive Director of Brooklyn Poets. The Brooklyn Poets Yop takes place on the second Monday of every month at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street, off Smith Street. Take the F or G line to Smith Street, walk half a block, and you're there. For more information, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's readers included the formidable Alan Braverman, Arthur Russell, Jenna Martinez Lynch, Chris Roberts, Rachel Corso, Emily Blair, Candy Wolf, Catherine Seahouse, Athena Pappas, Richard Loeb, Lauren Della Penha, Bill Livingston, Julie Hart, Ricardo Hernandez, Richard Fine, Caroline DeLuca, Nicole Siegelman, and Suzanne Highland. If you want to come out to the Book and Poets Yop, sign up on our website at bookandpoets.org. Workshop starts at 7, open mic at 8, every poet gets 3 minutes on the mic. Without any further delay, let's get right to the action. Welcome back. Good evening. This is the most people I've ever seen in this room. <laughs> it's weird to have been so antisocial since the New Year started, and now I'm thrust into sociality. So forgive me if I seem rude or strange tonight. It's just because I haven't been talking to many people so far in 2016. It's good to see so many people here. So many familiar faces, as well as so many new faces. That's really exciting, of course. Uh, thanks for if you helped with the uh, breakdown of the tables and the resetting of the chairs. We appreciate it. We have just a little bit of volunteer help. In fact, we're actually quite well staffed tonight, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, Daniel, it's a heavy lifter here. Uh, but thanks a lot if you helped out. Uh, if you just got a drink, that's also cool. <laughs> that's what I would have done, probably. Um, if you weren't here last December, what we have started to do is to record the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic and to publish it as a podcast, which we call, of course, the Yopcast. I have just submitted this to iTunes, so potentially or in the future you will be able to subscribe to this and listen to it uh, through iTunes. Right now it's just available on our website and through SoundCloud. Go to soundcloud.com, Brooklyn Poets. Um, so, one caveat is if you are not okay with your voice being distributed for download, you need to tell me that, and I will strike you from the recording. Very easy to just delete your section. Uh, yes, that's perfectly okay. Just tell me that. Otherwise, if you uh, read to the open mic, you are giving us your permission to use your sounds and make you famous. So, you know, fame versus nothing. That's your choice. <laughs> I would choose fame myself, but not everyone is okay with that. Uh, if you haven't been here before, the rules are this. You get three minutes on the mic. Please do not go over it. You see how many bodies are in the room. Everyone will silently resent you if you go over three minutes. Like, we all know. We all have that internal clock 
some of us actually look at our watches, including me, so we will know if you've gone over and we will resent you for that. We might not say anything, but we will. Poets are probably best of anybody, right, at silently resenting other people. <laughs> poets and maybe, like, lawyers. Because <laughs> lawyers probably wanted to be poets and then they went to law school. So don't do it. Please hold yourself to three minutes. Um, it's probably, like, two poems max, unless you have, like, ten haiku. Don't read ten haiku. That's ridiculous. You know, if you've got haiku, read maybe three, you know. <laughs> but please try to stay in three minutes. Uh, we'll get through the open mic list. Hopefully we'll get to the wait list. We usually get through at least five or six people on the wait list. And uh, we have to wrap up in about an hour, so it's about 8, 12 now. Um, okay, so without further ado, our first reader is our wonderful professor from tonight. Give it up for Cynthia Cruz. Next up, get it for Alan Braverman. Submission to lust could be immeasurable in its impact on one's body and soul. Is it a transgression to elevate your desires? Though being naked could be transformative. Okay. The second poem was done during a previous workshop last month. Uh, writing poems is a form of therapy for me. In light of the work I do handling disciplinary cases involving gun-toting students, assault, robbery, attempted murder, 
statutory rape. The title of the poem is My Dreams Restored at Poetry Up. I dream lying on a mattress. The pillow steadies my head. As I fall asleep, eyes closed. The thoughts are resurrected, not from the grave, but from within my mind. Seeing images of the past from family long gone. Dad and mom are within my grasp. To nurture a lost soul in a contemporary setting, the vastness of our universe is reduced to an apartment in Jackson Heights, Queens, encapsulating memories from a turbulent past of invectives and denial, and yet the essence of love was ever present. Until awakened, the darkness of the room comforting, while the silence of the night more than deafening, when one can reflect on a fragmented moment, neurologically imprinted on the cerebral cortex, playing an important role in consciousness until the sunlight opens my eyes with the hope that dreams which elevate the spirit of joy are preserved and nightmares will remain on Elm Street and now entering the real world transcending time and space. Thank you, Alan. Time and space made me think of David Bowie. Yeah. Sad. David yeah, Bowie's nice. gone. Maybe you're fans of David Bowie. Like everyone, right? <laughs> if you weren't before, probably now you're shamed to being a fan, which is good. Good for you to be shamed to being a fan of David Bowie. Uh, next up is our winner of Poem of the Year for 2015. Give it up for Arthur Russell. saying, oh no, I shouldn't, and 
Okay, why not? And that it mattered how many times you were asked the thing before you gave in. And she believed in taking joy from giving in. She believed in laughing till she cried and dancing with your husband or if he wouldn't dance, then dancing with your husband's friend or your friend's husband. She believed in dancing, be it rumba, waltz, or foxtrot, and she believed in looking up at the band when the rhythm changed as though the band were the ones making naughty suggestions. You guys. <laughs> was an actual color of light that showed in her eyes. She had a memory for partners and remembered dance to dance and year to year who at the club had a firm hand on her low back or a confident release or hair she liked to look at in the lights. She believed, my mother did, in sitting down beside you at your table after dancing and saying, oh my God, I'm not as young as I used to be. <laughs> she believed that something happened at midnight. She believed something could happen at midnight. She believed that something was going to happen at midnight. Standing in the doorway of our room, she wanted my brother and me to know that she loved us, that she wished us a very happy New Year. Even though she couldn't be with us when the New Year came, even though we couldn't be awake when the New Year came, even though we couldn't see the magic thing that happened when the New Year came, except as a glimmer in her eye. Thank you, Arthur. You write very well by your parents. I promise, no more. <laughs> There's the dad, now the mom. Uh, okay, uh, two things I forgot to remind you of. Um, actually, really, one thing I want to remind you of then the second thing I've already reminded you of, but there's still two things. First thing is, speak into the mic. If you speak right back here, it will not show up in the recording very well. So if you want to be famous, speak into the mic. If you, if you don't give a fuck, just do whatever you want. Uh, secondly, don't forget to vote for no right? Uh Remember people's names. If you forget their name, just talk to them afterward. Actually talk to people. That's that's a good thing to do in life. Yes. What did you say? The third thing. The third thing, yeah, well. Somebody's counting. Arthur's, Arthur's a lawyer, so he's counting. Uh, next up is Jenna Martinez Lynch. Give it up for Jenna. over Houston and lands in our bed. We live in this bed, you, me, and the dog, because it is the only room we can all fit in, in this 300 square foot cave. It's cold outside, and there is nothing to do but lie in this bed and try to hold on to the tiniest sliver of sunlight. It's my first winter in New York, and everything is novel. The, sir the sirens, 
and drunks and rat sounds make a lullaby for sleep. The bangs and bumps of the radiator amuse me. I laugh every time we open the window to relieve ourselves of the heat that has climbed up the walls of our tiny room. I buy a hideous black coat to fit in with other New Yorkers <laughs> and step out onto the snowy street. The snow magically blankets the grime on the sidewalks and obscures the piles of trash. My shoes crunch into new snow with delight. The snow has yet to turn into a leaky sewer of ice and trash. Months of cold have yet to be stored in my bones. We lie in bed and share soft gossip about the neighbors, Mars Bar across the avenue, the family of rats in the empty lot next door. We talk about winter, the way it can seem everlasting. But then you tell me it isn't yet winter. <laughs> it isn't yet winter because there are still leaves in the trees. Because winter is bare. Bare than I can know. Thank you, Jenna. Next up is someone I just saw Star Wars with. Give it up for Chris Roberts. first two parts from a five-part poem. I read the first part before, but no one, I'm sure, remembers it. Um, I'm, I don't have a title, but I kind of want to call it an excerpt from 1992 that just arrived, so. Late August. That Sunday, Dad burst into both our rooms. And though he wasn't mad, he promptly packed our duffel bags and clothes to last a week and said he'd bring more over when he could. I was afraid but not of him, of things. The plastic man that I'd been playing with came with me to the car. My grip on it had stayed the same since Dad had run upstairs. Dad drove. Mom sat passenger and breathed as though I'd called for her too many times in some store wanting something, so she'd changed the name she'd answer to, which wasn't Mom, but what she'd change it to, and wouldn't say what she'd changed it to. I said, Dad. Dad. Dad drove away with Mom still in the car. Grandma brought us into where we'd stay. My sister got the room that used to be Aunt Judy's room, which had a double bed. I got the middle room, a single bed, a black and white TV that didn't work, fur coats and hats amassed on too few hooks, an old set of encyclopedias which smelled like going to a library, a desk that had too many things on it, and one small shuttered window up so high I had to stand up on the bed to reach that loop of string that made the blinds go up. October. That Halloween, we didn't get to go outside to trick-or-treat. We helped his grandma pass out treats to other kids in costumes while Pop-Pop sat in his recliner watching episodes of canceled shows. I watched him watching. Then I watched the thermostat. Occasionally, he'd laugh. My face turned red. Grandma was in the kitchen with my sister. When the doorbell rang, I let it go. They must have gone away. It rang again. Grandma sang, I think I hear the door. Princess, Batman, Tweedledum stepped in along with someone's mom. I stared at them. 
Grandma cut in so happy I fell back and lingered on the downstairs landing, thinking I'd make a better Batman than that kid. <laughs> My sister, who'd been left alone too long, joined Grandma, copying the smile she had. Pop-Pop laughed at something on TV, and that was it. I said, can't we just go around the block? My parents let us go. Then who'd be here to pass out treats, said Grandma. Pop-Pop can. He isn't doing much. You don't have a costume. I'll just go as... as... So, wait, I have a turtleneck upstairs and black pants, too. I'll be a mime. Do you have extra makeup for my face? I think you need a special kind for that. Well, what about a beatnik like that guy on Dobie Gillis? Couldn't I please, Grandma? Electrons surged in me. I tasted yes. But Grandma shook her head. I'm sorry, Chris. The weather's just not good enough for that. But Grandma, why? You got your answer, Chris. Pop-Pop barked over a commercial break. Accept it and move on. But Pop-Pop, why? His show returned. Hey, Pop-Pop, I asked why. Chris, come and help me in the kitchen, please, Grandma asked, which left me with no choice. The blender full of ice cubes sat plugged in near Dixie cups and orange concentrate. My sister measured orange concentrate. Now pour it in. She poured it in. Now, Chris, you press the button. I'll hold down the lid. Dad let me use the blender once, I mused. Mom said we made a mess, so now we can't. So now you get another chance, she said. To do it right, she demonstrated how. To pulse so that the ice was crushed just right, holding down the lid and helping me to pulse, her hand was like a framework for my own. The blender screamed in ecstasy, released from being stored in quiet space. The taste of power wallpapered my mouth. But better were the cups my sister filled that we drank up. I took one out to Papa. Thank you, Chris. So that poem was a blank verse. Have why you, have always you? <laughs> Because I'm about to advertise my own workshop, that's why. So I'm teaching you a workshop on blank verse. If you don't know what that is, you should take the workshop. It's amazing, right? It sounds totally conversational like it's free verse, but that's actually a fucking ionic pentameter. Incredible. Next up is Rachel Corso. Get up for Rachel. Um, and this other one is 
jungle of people. And uh, one in particular that's pronounced Proust Proust. So I kind of felt oh, mean. Um, so it's called Fuck Marcel. <laughs> Maybe Proust needed to party. Perhaps wake up in Brooklyn next to a man he'll later refer to as Bisquick. Maybe he should have been down to make buckwheat pancakes instead of slinking back to his apartment in Bronxville to write about remembering memories incorrectly. If Proust took a minute, or several, to wiggle around in this week's goose down, then it's more than possible he wouldn't care as much about eyes or the mind or those unspoken stains on the flank of his shirt. Yes, if Proust only staged a spoon batter into a grease pan, he would know the taste of sweetness, the body sense of sexualized tension, the malting of self into a more comfortable self through assisted masturbation. Maybe if Proust laughed at being thirsty, at using another man's nightstand as his own for just one fragile evening, I wouldn't feel the gravity of waking up his type of lonely. Thank you, Rachel. Two questions. How many of you know who Keats is? <laughs> so a lot of you are like, yo, what is Keats? That's a good question. How many of you pronounce Proust Proust? <laughs> I like all these honest people. That's awesome. Uh, I think when I was like 24, I told someone I was dating, and I was like, no, it's Proust, not Proust. And I was trying to be as gentle as possible. She was like, wow, you're so pretentious. I was like, I'm just trying to help you out here. One day you're going to have this conversation with someone else who's not going to be as nice as me. It'll probably be in Brooklyn. Someone will read a poem by you called Fuck Proust. What is that called? Fuck Marcel. <laughs> That's the title. Okay, next up is Emily Blair. Give it up for Emily. Her vulnerability. It was the other way around. 
you, Emily. Is Yasmin Gonzalez here? No, you probably knew that. Turns off. <laughs> we want Ricky back. <laughs> Bring back Ricky. Okay, settle down. <laughs> I like how he immediately got crestfallen after he's like. Uh, next up is a, I believe, a Yop debuter. Give it up for Candy Wolf. Yeah. Thank you. I'm not good at the technical stuff, so can you hear me? This is called Ode to the Writer. His heart beats out of the typewriter as he punches the keys, and I grab the words. One by one, they are escaping while desperately clinging to his soul. The confinement of his emotions is released through his characters. They hurt and drain him through every turn. He becomes torn and tattered, nauseated by the smell of them, drunk from his tequila and the desire to set them free. Then he tries to protect himself by feeling nothing. Some say he's unfeeling. I know that's not true. His eyes reveal so much about him. They are a mirror of his soul. The brown scared reflections show the fear of a caged animal, but the bars are around his heart. His words pry them open as much as he can as much as he can allow, and then the pains come. They are fierce. So is he momentarily. The release begins, and the tears start to roll like bowling balls, knocking down the pins of his frustrations. He lets no one in to see for fear of more abandonment. He's protecting his world and locking out the real one. I wish I had the key. But his plays, his characters, and his words. Oh, those words, they, they arouse me. My senses are pulled in every direction. They tug at my heartstrings. I love it. I'm inspired by it. The words are taking me out of myself on an unprotected, intoxicating motorcycle ride of laughter, tears, fear, anger, hope, friendship, strength, courage, love. They excite me. I'm the passenger on this unprotected and unpredictable roller coaster. He is the painter and narrator, the poet and navigator. In those words, they're stroking me, caressing me, slowly moving along my senses, strumming me like a guitar, until I'm brought to a feverish pitch, and I'm filled with so many emotions. But now I pull back to him in his torment. He's reaching out before crawling back to his hibernation. My eyes blink back compassionate tears until they fall as he lets me touch his inner core the way he just touched mine with his artistry through his words. Thank you, Candy. Sounds like you found a good one. It's like, uh, does he have a friend? A female? <laughs> Next up is Catherine Seahouse. Give it up for Catherine. 
really weird. Um, <clears throat> this poem had a title, but I just decided I don't like it, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> There's a tributary when followed eventually divides into starry streams. We let our hands out to drink philosophies, to write, to say bloody goodbyes, poetry, to make quilts out of our miseries, to write, to make phone calls to my bones. My bones ask if I have the medicine of night. You say, please, quiet your mind, together like icicles, strumming painful memories. Thank you, Kevin. She knows what I like, short and quick. <laughs> You know that term from uh, sports, like basketball, like efficiency? I feel like we need to have that term for poets' readings. You know, like, you know, like sports analytics? How many of you are sports nerds? Like, probably zero of you in this room. <laughs> what the hell? Does no, do no poets watch sports anymore? Except for me. Anyway. Yeah, of course. But they don't talk about efficiency in baseball. They talk about it in basketball. Anyway, we should have that statistic for poets <laughs> when they read. It would be good. Next up is Athena Papas. Give it up for Athena. Uh, hi, everyone. Thank you for coming out. Open letter to his toothbrush. To whom it may concern, you reach for me every time I wash my hands, my face, my teeth, my day away. Water burning hot, running cold passion or adjusting itself. You usually just sit there reminding me he's probably not coming back. Your bristles stare at me. Your body teases me. But dear toothbrush, stop screaming. It's your fault he's not here to use me. You glow in the soothing jasmine and kiwi sit in nightlight watching me. I've always been so careful with you while you balance on the ceramic. I don't want to splash water on you or knock you into the dirt crack between the tub and the sink. Put your money where your mouth is. Since you spend so much time on making sure you get what you deserve, we feel it's important to ask if your toothbrush is a TVP dental bee. If it isn't, here's what you've been missing. Late night zombie flicks, holding my hand in the museum, cigarettes down the interstate, half-priced books, my DVD copy of The Virgin Suicides, a broken hair clip, postcards from the Poconos, fortune cookie lottery tickets, a promise to caulk the shower, sex on the couch. To whom it may concern, this is your final notice. You only have a few days left. Your place is in the trash can lined with the blue grocery bag. But if I keep you, you might come back. Dear sir, today will be different. I reach for you again, but I don't care how you scream at me. I'm looking for my new TVP Dental B. I hope you enjoy your new home with all the other dead toothbrushes. Best wishes. <laughs> Thank you, Athena. I just tweeted a promise to cock the shower. <laughs> I like that. I don't know why that seems so resonant. 
cock is a great word. It's like a cousin of cock, but, but, but much more clinical. Cock. <laughs> it's like my other favorite word, masticate. Which obviously reminds everyone of the other word, but means chewing. It's a great word. Use masticate every chance you get. Um, so uh, someone just reminded me that the efficiency rating was was called PER, which is it was Cohen's efficiency rating. What was your name again? Damien. Yeah. Give it up for Damien. PER. <laughs> Unfortunately, many of so you just don't know what it means, so your PER is very low. <laughs> is Matt Clegg here? Negative. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Give it up for Richard Loeb. Where is he? There he is. Participation is appointment, going to the joint hands. Uh, I know pretty much everybody here is into uh, traditional family values. So this is uh, the traditional family Thanksgiving savings. My family, big on traditional values, every year is certain to observe dear, sentimental, long held tradition annual Thanksgiving seance. Solemnly we gather, table circle, hands joined. No participation Unbroken chain. Call ancestor spirits, enter this foul creature and gather in the center. Slowly turkey rises, levitates, speaks with gobbled tongues of thousands who came before, gathered as we do this day. Then slowly the platter lowers, settles back within our midst, sharpened knives and forks held ready, we begin to dig in. Consuming turkey, we consume all those who came before, and in so doing they become one with us. The word shit won't be on the off chat. <laughs> <laughs> so I have marked, I marked the content. On iTunes, I marked the content explicit, which, which really pleased me. <laughs> um, uh, that was an interesting epitome of New York City right there. <laughs> the failed hand holding <laughs> Everyone was just like, nah. I think I'll just, I'll just keep to myself. Wow. <laughs> What a failure. Okay. <laughs> Let's be a little nicer now. <laughs> the next reader is Lauren De La Pena. Give it up for Lauren.
The day the awning swelled and broke right through, she strayed out from the door jamb to the yard. I watched from under the still dripping eaves her slow survey of what had fallen with the leaves. The storm so far had hit us hard. She uttered not a word, but who would care? She'd not the will nor wait for words. The sky was all a scar, open wide. The sun, a bloodless clot, had come undone. Trailing sheets and socks, the clothesline knot had come untied. The garden we could never get to grow had burst to brutish spate of desperate flowers, splintered leaves, and wind-blown glass. The rain had swelled the door ajar. Such gallantry, for whom? She was not inclined to wander through the quiet rooms and curtains bulging wet upon the sill, sagging like a skein from broken bone, and find her face pressed hard within the pane nor rummage through the earth's fresh open wound and find her fate bound up in muted blooms that crowd the mouths of utterance and drain, entwined and stinking, sweet, fecund, profane, and learn that all we're not and all we are will rot from lightning, thunder, wind, and rain. No, she will stay here, eye to eye with that unblinking round of nothing, Round which everything turns to nothing. Nothing sounds a silence fiercer than the storm, but I strain to hear it through the little breath that never came. All the turning earth is washed up here with the storm's afterbirth. Here there is no error and no oath, just the entrails of our longings strewn through roots that rot in the undergrowth, through labyrinth and veins and our rough and our rough hewn proofs of being we cannot name a ghost we cannot see command the beast to crouch and hold its breath beneath the tree to sleep through storms and never wake and curse the ground that gates to take the child we found and lost and lost and lost but who knew that the sky swallows too and then the hour broke irresolute, like a name spoken underwater. She turned herself towards me, and the whole earth turned with her too. A soundless blue seeped through her eye, like a hole in a bell, and then I knew what to do. I spoke your name, and you were here, down to strain our sorrow from the dew, then up to make of the dawn a dream, and draw these waters back up through their streams, and further to that source we have never seen, in that other, higher, more we've never known. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. So I just tweeted sweet, feckant, profane, which sounded much better when you pronounced it. But uh, it's a reminder if you want to also tweet the event, use the hashtag group. Brooklyn Poets Eoff, it's pretty easy to remember. Also, don't forget to vote for Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. Or just talk to me afterwards. Some of you were here last time, you should still have my number. What did you delete my number from your phone already? We gave you money and a prize, <laughs> and you deleted my number. Thank you. Uh, you did donate money, though, so you know, 
that's fine. You're, you're good. <laughs> Next up is maybe a debuter. I can't remember if you read before. Uh, give it up for Josh Adler. Here's Josh. Ah, uh, Josh, and uh, from the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture, the United States okay. Department of Arts and Culture, check into it or you can ask me about it. I've got some uh, copies of my adaptation of Jill Scott Heron's The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Also, you can ask me about that. Uh, I have a question, though. It's, uh, we, I have two pieces, and uh, one is for Tamir Rice and the other one is for David Bowie. So which one do you want to hear? David Rice. David Rice. David Rice. I had a band named Woody Seeger the other day. <laughs> that band probably exists, right? It's that's a Brooklyn thing. All right, I think I heard Tamir Rice. I do need your help with this. You just if I say here and you feel like saying here, say here. After I say here, so like here? Here. 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 Between the walls of light and life. Here. Here. Like shadows of our children's names. Here. Here. On the circle of the hidden peoples. Here. Here. Where the lithography etches in seasons. Here. Here. While all else conspires. Here. Here. To mingle mind of sky with son of hearts. Here. Here. Summoning one part empress, two parts futility. Here. Here. For the end of words. Here. For a loop of blinking misstep of taste. Here. 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 For a final first breath as square one rotates into root. Here. Here. For a single moment, that diamond. Here. Pushing against winds of sleep. Here. Changing directions while staying put, queuing for exit cues. Here. Here. To applaud only if necessary. Here. Yeah. A chasing meter left behind for drones to unread. Here. In our pockets turned out like faith. Here as the earth abandoned as opposable thumbs in 2100. Here. Yeah. River stands for tiger, since only seeds make stripes. <coughs> Cross valley backs. Here. Shot for answers digging emeralds out our veins. Here. Magnificent autumn eyes shine on scattered fortresses. Here clings time still with branches still so long, yet not a thought. Here. Here. Anticipating the ten thousand things. Here. Here. A defiance surfing empty, towers lit past sunrise. Here. Here. Where the stop is true. The memory a useless thriving switch. Here. The only tax is virtue. Limitation the only sin. Here. As our voices touch Methuselah Grove. Thank you, Josh. Congratulations, Dalton. You did a lot better with that one, I think. <laughs> the audience participation was much better. Still not great, but, but better than the hand holding, which was terrible. We all failed that one. That was like a C minus, I think. <laughs> Uh, next up was winner of Poem of the Month in December for a poem about his daughters getting their period. Very 
heartwarming subject for all of us. I'm sure we'll read something else this month. <laughs> It'll be just as appealing. Give it up for Bill Livingston. Yes, that was one of my five finest moments. How to be the best Republican ever. Set your clock back to 1950. Remove all foresight. No need to look forward. Be white by any means necessary. Be a man. Only your wife or mother can control your body. Listen to country music exclusively, except Keith Urban. Being married to Nicole Kidman, that ain't country, hoss. Actually live in the country. Don't be that stubborn ball of flour in the melting pot. Stay far away from cultural institutions such as libraries, museums, theaters, art house cinemas, and bars featuring poetry nights. Everything you need is on Fox and the internet. Buy a gun, then another, then another, then another. Buy more bullets than you can possibly use in any kind of apocalypse. Protest abortion and Planned Parenthood with the same fervor you protest gun regulations. Let others appreciate that irony. Love thy neighbor, as long as they're white, Christian, Republican, and actually your neighbor. Go to bed early. Late night talk show hosts make fun of your heroes. Instill envy in your peers. Take a selfie with Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, or a dead lion. <laughs> Support lawmakers who defund public education, education while you teach your children to hate, hate, hate. Adopt a firm grasp of right and wrong. Know the cops are always right, and anyone protesting the killing of an unarmed black man or woman is always wrong. Ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Then do the opposite. <laughs> Always offer thoughts and prayers without actually thinking or praying. Numb yourself to war, but choose your enemies wisely. Start with Muslims, Mexicans, filthy liberals, and the irksome truth. Read this poem. Hate this poem. It doesn't even rhyme. Burn a cross on my lawn, ignite it with these words, because I'm very different from you. Thank you. Well done. Very timely. How many of you are Republican in here? Yeah, right. <laughs> There's got to be one. <laughs> how, many of you have, how many of you have parents that are Republican? Or how many of you have parents that are Republican that don't actually vote? That's My parents are so odd. They're like fierce Republicans, but they never vote. I'm like, does that even... You don't even count, so why do you care? <laughs> but they get mad at me if I vote not Republican, which I always do. Both of my sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're conservative, but they can't vote because they're British, so it's hilarious. Yeah. It's a little bit like my parents, except they're Asian. Yeah. That's that's a healthy outlook. Yeah. Yeah. My parents don't have that excuse. They're not quite that old yet. They're just bad. Politics. <laughs> okay, next up.
We're starting to run out of time. Uh, our Yawper of the Year for 2015, give it for Julie Hart. Their leverage demands obedient neighboraries to purchase more junk, 
jeopardizing quality with quackery, irrefutable rapacity foaming at the helm of society's deranged economic game, driven by tyrannical regimes who fraudulently forge uniformity. Epilogue felt for the Vox Populi by denouncing the wizard within, conformant with xenocracy life ushering our begotten youth to be assholes of zenith existence. Information gained. Third level ocular damage will suspend knowledge aperture lane during the third eon of the sixth procession toward Rigel, Beetlejuice, Bellatrix, Scythe. One thing is clear, Ricky knows the alphabet <laughs> very well. Which is a requirement of being the author of the year if you aspire to be that this year. So learn your alphabet. Uh, last on our open mic list before the wait list, which we will have a few readers from, is Richard Fine. Give it up for Richard. To raise the intellectual level of poetry readings, I'm going to do a scholarly dissertation on biology. Please pay attention. How does one measure a barnacle's penis? <laughs> to measure one in all its fully extended glory, one needs the following contraptions. A system of pulleys, rubber hoses, capillary tubes, a hypodermic needle glued to the base of that fired severed penis, and lots and lots of seawater. But why would one measure a barnacle's penis? Because, relatively speaking, it has the biggest dick in the whole wide world. It even beats out a well-hung banana slug. A blue whale needs Viagra, Viagra to even come close, relatively speaking. Body to pick a ratio, the barnacle is champ of land, sea, and arthropod super water bug. Darwin was in awe of their tumid schlongs, nine times the size of their own bodies. Think, almost five feet for pathetic human nails. Barnacles, much like us, spend their restless yearning youth freely swimming, searching for that special gee-whiz spot. And when they find that G-spot, lo, the metamorphosis. Their motility becomes obsolete and their new lifestyle wonderfully obscene. They become the archetypal couch potatoes, or in their case, conch potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> to settle down to a lifelong inertia, and for human guys, 23 years marries well, what's the difference? But barnacles could attach themselves anywhere, oysters, whales, sharks, even a jettison mattress and a kind of natural crazy glue becomes their everlasting bond. A whole menagerie of horny arthropods, lifetimes of only eating, sleeping, and you know what. <clears throat> a barnacle-to-barnacle -barnacle daisy chain across any miscellaneous surface. That explains their unabashed protuberances. These sessile, sexy creatures must reach across to their mates lying next to them, and that makes them a, makes for a mighty long stretch, maybe close to half a foot. What's more? They're also hermaphrodites, a sort of ACDC, not yet fully evolved. 
intercourse, manual, mutual masturbation, and possibly gay sex all at once. <laughs> Barnacles, <clears throat> the salty wet cream of every long-married expatula and aging drag queen. No wonder Darwin was in awe. But sadly for us, evolution took a more boring turn. <laughs> quite what to say after that. If it wasn't explicit before, it was it's definitely explicit now. <laughs> like barnacle porn. <laughs> you should all Google barnacle porn tonight. Richard will probably come up. Um, yeah. This may be the first first and last time I'll ever two mid schlongs. <laughs> Um, okay, we're on to our open mic waitlist, um, because it is the open mic waitlist and we're almost out of time, I asked everyone on the waitlist to please just read one poem, if you can, otherwise we'll never get out of here. Our first reader off the waitlist is our wonderful intern in the back, please give it up for Caroline DeLuca. Shit crazy scared. 
I know everyone holds ominous alleyways, and there is nothing special about this terror. But I am sick to death of floods that drown the people I love in so much pain they want to die. Through the Poets Interns. Give it up for the interns. Very talented. We don't actually call them interns. That seems like demeaning, right? Interns? Maybe not. Only when you say it. Maybe. <laughs> I have a naturally sarcastic voice, but uh, they are more than interns to me. If you want to be an intern, you can apply to be one and uh, help us out at the Book of Go to bookpost.org. Next up, we have Nicole Siegelman. Give it up for Nicole. Thank you. So, a uh, little backstory. I just moved to the East Village, which I'm really, really excited about. Cause I do not have to take the subway to work anymore, and I really don't have the subway. It gives me a little bit of uh, anxiety. Um, so, I, I found that there was this uh, poetry in motion posters all over the trains. You guys have seen them, right? Yeah. yeah. I think I was like scratching at the walls for most of the time. So yeah, I, I found out about it recently. Um, so this is about a, a poem I saw by Tracy K. Smith. Um, it's, Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Forget I said that. Um, <laughs> should ask this to all hands. Uh, it's called Tracy K. Smith Once Spoke to Me on the D Train. Tracy K. Smith once spoke to me on the D Train. She sat content, catty cornered at the end where her poster hung, snafued, cracked and shellacked against the steel, squinting eyes to see past the rabbi stationed firmly in the middle, past the dust created by the shuffling of feet. She read the words aloud as I gazed in awe at her palpitude, her unearthly eos, the atmospheric phenomenon that existed right here as the train car approached Atlantic Avenue, while her lips pursed and pressed together to properly pronounce each syllable. My elongated stare seemed to pique the interest of said Talmudist as if I were signaling to him in a desperate cry to be saved from Christianity. And still the train car carries on without even a double take at Tracy, but then again there was always this unspoken rule about never locking eyes with one another here. Just the regarding of shoes, which never seemed to be so clean. Just the regarding of feet that walk and flounder and flatten the gum-spotted sidewalks. Then noticing the souls of souls adrift. Then someone sits too close to me and I start to lose my shit. <laughs> Have you ever had a full-on panic attack inside a steel hollow shell filled with breathing bodies, snaking, scratching, screeching 50 miles per hour in the underbelly of the city? Has it ever crippled you to the point where you are flat face pressed upon the glass, digging nails into carbon fiber walls, well, trust me, it's not as glamorous as it seems. But Tracy kept on going in perfect pitch and pantometer just to temper the nerves and seems to leave without saying goodbye. Well, I don't mind, but I wonder what she must have thought when the MTA replaced her with Walt Whitman. Clean and crisp lie the print atop hers, and in just a moment, no one would even remember the way she felt about the universe, about Mars, 
about the walks home that made her nostalgic, about the table she once sat where her father kept the dinner warm. And I wonder what he thought when I suggested that a little bit less red pepper flake would have made this a little bit more tolerable to chew, for when my mirror paper poster becomes plastered over with a poet far better than me, I'll look back and say it was all worth it to ramble on about things that made me move and swing and love and light, knowing someone on the D train understood what it all meant. Thank you, Nicole. Uh, Tracy K. Smith was on Twitter a lot today because she has a, apparently has a poem about David Bowie. So it's odd <laughs> in a way. See, uh, it was like everyone discovered Tracy K. Smith. I mean, she's like a very well-known poet. It's like I didn't realize so many people knew her David Bowie poem. Um, it's a little weird, right? How death works that way. I don't know how I feel about that. It's like oh, somebody dies, so now we're gonna tweet this person's poem. That's true. It's not related at all to what I was saying, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, it seems bad that Whitman was over Tracy. Both Brooklyn poets. I think Tracy now lives in New Jersey. Teaches at Princeton. She's doing very well for herself, so we shouldn't feel bad for her. Okay, uh, our last poet of the evening is Suzanne Highland. Give it up for Suzanne. Seven ways to get a better night's sleep, and here's how. 
Maggie says, yeah, that was a good poem. Maybe there's a reason why you close it out. Uh, I like that very much. Um, if you didn't get to read, I apologize. It's obviously a huge room. Uh, what you can do is sign up right now on your phones. Uh, that will ensure that you are on the open mic list definitely next time. It is a very packed list every month. Uh, don't forget to vote for Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953, or just email me. You should have my email. 718. That sounds like they're up to something. <laughs> they're like, let's ask them out. 718-374-1953. Or just, or just email me. Okay, that's enough. Good evening. Have a drink downstairs, and we'll see you next month. There you have it, the Brooklyn Poetry Offcast, January 11th, 2016. Congrats to Chris Roberts, the winner of our Poem of the Month by audience vote for the January Yop. Chris has earned free admission to a future Yop as well as a place in our Poem of the Year Smackdown this December, just 11 months away now. Again, if you'd like to sign up for the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. Sign up for the workshop and or the open mic. And that's about all. Hope to see you at the February Yop, which comes your way on February 8th, 2016. Our new professor, Joanna C. Valente, will be leading the workshop and kicking off the open mic. So we hope to see you there. Till next time.